Hey, this is Mark, and you're listening to Stuff Matters. In this episode, we learn about alchemy, the spiritual predecessor to chemistry. What exactly was it? Was it a science? Was it a religion? What did they do? What was their major goal? All that and more as we go in-depth and explore the topic of alchemy. Before diving in, let's learn about a recent headline from the NEWS, The News. This week's major news headline comes from the winter storm that occurred in Texas. Chemists across the state of Texas are assessing damage to their experiments, laboratories, and equipment following last week's winter storm. Usually, cold temperatures combined with power outages led to many pipes in the region to freeze and then burst. This caused water damage in several chemistry departments. In particular, we are looking at the laboratories in universities across Texas. Researchers who had been kept out of the laboratories for safety reasons over the weekend were assessing the extent of the damage from flooding on Monday, February 22nd. Water damage has not been the only issues, though, for these university laboratories. It got so cold that ice forms on the lab flooring, and this has caused some major injuries such as broken ribs and internal bleeding. One chemistry professor from the University of Texas at Austin says that there has been some flooding in the school's chemistry building because of bursted pipes. And because of this, there has been inefficient water pressure to operate the building's emergency systems, such as eyewash stations and emergency showers. So, laboratories in Texas got some water damage, and now there's gotta be some budget cuts in having to clean it up. But let's take a look at how the water damage occurred. And by this, we need to see how does water damage happen in the first place. First, we need to know the freezing point for water, which is 0 degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit. With this headline happening after a major winter storm, there is no doubt that the buildings and the pipes inside reached way below 0 degrees Celsius. Because of this, the pipes that eventually lead to the outside got filled with water from the melting snow. This water then went into the pipes and froze over because it was so cold inside. With this frozen water, it created a blockade, and more water came in, more melted ice came in. As more water built up because of the blockage, it couldn't go anywhere. But how come this water couldn't freeze? Well, it's because there's a lot more of it, meaning that there's a lot more to freeze. And with all this water combined, it's thick enough for it not to freeze over just yet. So more water is building up, and over time, it's going to keep building up, where the pipes just can't hold it anymore, and eventually, it'll burst, causing water damage to go all over. So now that pipes have bursted, and water is everywhere, it is going to freeze over because... The inside of the building is super cold, cold enough for the water to reach its freezing point. And so the floors and countertops all become iced and slippery. Not only that, but water also got on equipment, and that also froze over. 
leaving some major equipment damaged because it is not meant to have so much water exposure. This is a headline addressing how universities in Texas have their laboratories experiencing water damage because of the winter storm recently. And now you know that the freezing point of water is 0 degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit, which, by the way, for chemists is a very big deal because a lot of things are just based around the freezing point of water. With the news out of the way, let's get into the real meats and potatoes of this episode. The T-O-P-I-C. The Topic. Alchemy, the art form of liberating something from its fixed physical properties, otherwise known as transmutation. And the most famous of transmutations is turning lead into gold. But how did it all start? We begin by finding manuscripts from the 4th or 5th century, where alchemists were pagan, Christian, and Jewish. The manuscripts show details of transmutation, but we didn't know what their intentions were at the time. Mostly because trying to look this far back into history is really hard since that people didn't preserve much information. So we skip ahead to finding Greek manuscripts. But again, we still don't know what their intentions of doing transmutation were. Who wouldn't want to turn lead into gold? At the time, alchemy was seen as a sort of magic. Science didn't really exist yet, and philosophers were barely being born. So let's skip past the Greeks and see India pick up alchemy. The concept that India contributed was the idea of creating a divine body with immortality. Because an aspect of Buddhism is about spiritual enlightenment. And they saw transmutation as a sort of purification. So now we have alchemy as a means to artificially enlighten ourselves. Now let's skip to the fall of Rome where Islam starts to pick up alchemy. And we know a lot more information about Islamic alchemists thanks to their well-preservation of records and data. This is where the idea of transmutation made a little more sense to alchemists. Enter Javir, an Islamic alchemist who studied under the Greek philosopher Aristotle. Javir took Aristotle's concept of the four elements, fire, air, earth, and water, and applied them to claiming that all metals found in nature were made up of these four elements. Thus, the transmutation that alchemists have been doing with these metals found in nature has actually been the work of changing the four elements into something of the same four elements. Javier even gave tips to certain metals that had specific aspects to them. These three tips were sulfur being flammable, mercury providing stability, and salt being solidity. So now, thanks to Javier, we have alchemists believing that lead can turn into gold because of the four elements of nature. But then again, you can also think Aristotle because he was the one who provided this concept of the four elements. If the transmutation proves successful, then we can purify ourselves, reaching enlightenment, as we are also made up of these elements. Oh, but that's not where it stops. Not yet, at least. We see Chinese alchemy begin to take shape and base its practices on their religion of Taoism, which is the belief that there is an infinite flow of energy. Chinese alchemists had the goal of creating the panacea, a sort of medicine that would grant immortality. With Taoism being the main influence for their alchemy, 
the alchemists took it a step further by believing that if we can make the right flow for our own energy, then we can become immortal, thus spiritual enlightenment. The Chinese alchemists accidentally created gunpowder and paved the way for modern medicine, since that their practices were more focused on infinite health. So finally, we get to the most popular, the last, and important era of alchemy, when the medieval Europeans finally got their hands on it. Books were beginning to be translated into Latin, and now Europeans can try their hand at alchemy. Just like the Eastern and Middle Eastern alchemists before them, they added their own spin to it with their religion. The process of transmutating lead into gold was the same, but the overarching goal for this process was different. Medieval alchemists sought to purify metals as a means to purify themselves eventually. Okay, that's the same as the past couple of cultures I've talked about. But their belief of spiritual enlightenment was to be back with God. Since that God is nature, and nature is pure, and these metals are found in nature, the alchemists believed that these metals can be transformed into another metal, which then gives us clues as to how we can transmutate ourselves to one day be back with nature, be back with God. Some even believed that reverting ourselves back to nature can make us like God. And with this mindset entered the Philosopher's Stone, a liquid or wax or powder, not an actual stone, that was said to grant the ability to transmutate anything into anything else. The price for this, however, was your own worldview. After obtaining the Philosopher's Stone, you would then see the infinite information of how everything in the universe is connected. Of course, this was all a hoax, and it never was actually made, but people did claim that they had succeeded. So, I'm sure you're wondering what the big obsession with turning things into gold was. It wasn't for greed. In fact, that would go against what the alchemist stood for. Gold was seen as the purest of metals. History has shown time and again how desirable it is with its luster and moldability. So alchemists believed that if we can make what's found in nature pure, then we can make ourselves pure. Since that all alchemy was inspired by religion, you needed to have a mindset when performing these experiments. The spiritual part of alchemy comes from the belief that you must have a pure soul, mind, and intentions to perform these acts of purification. This led to many alchemists being killed because of greedy kings who asked them to make gold on command. The alchemists would then refuse to the king because they understood that the universe would not allow purification under bad intentions and the lead that the king wanted made into gold would just remain lead. Alchemy was rooted to be a complex worldview, in which everything around us contained a sort of universal spirit, and metals like lead were thought to be a form of gold that was just spiritually and physically immature. And with this mindset, alchemists saw ourselves as humanity as spiritually and physically immature. The overall mindset is that everything is a part of nature. Nature is pure, everything will eventually return to nature. Alchemists strived to speed up that process of returning to nature on their own terms. You'll notice that the goal for every alchemist was to refine oneself, 
to transmutate a human soul to make it better. If we can refine something that was once pure, then that can give us knowledge as to how we can refine ourselves to what we used to be. Basically, all alchemists were working with these elements found in nature in hopes of one day being able to transmute themselves back to nature, to our purest form, to reach back to the same level as God, or with God. Whew. Now, I hope all of that made sense, because that is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the background of alchemy. I have with me here some footnotes to go over as they led me down a few rabbit holes that didn't really pertain to the theme of this podcast, but I thought they were interesting enough to keep in as this is the more philosophical side of alchemy. Uh, first off, there was a man named John Dee, he was one of the more famous alchemists, who claimed to have communicated with angels after learning the Enoch language from the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch is a book that was once a part of the Bible, but was made non-canon very quickly. In short, the book told the story of a man named Enoch, who instead of dying was able to go back in time and witness the fall of the angels, how they made Niflahems, basically a breed of angel and human hybrids, and this was the falling from grace moment from God. But the church made it not canon in the Bible. Secondly, alchemists kept their work secret from the church, so alchemists had a code with the Enoch language and symbols. A lot, a lot of symbols. And my guess is that the church took out the Book of Enoch because they found that it was the source, it was the code for the alchemists. Third, the alchemy process was broken down into seven stages. Being broken down into seven stages has a lot of similarities to, to the seven chakras and enlightenment that we see in Buddhism. I could not find any proven evidence to support this connection, but my guess is that when India picked up alchemy, they also added these seven stages of purification, like their seven chakras, as they saw both as a means of enlightenment. That's about it for the major background points that I wanted to cover. Now, let me tell you of an interesting fun fact that even I was shocked to hear. Did you know that Isaac Newton was an alchemist? In March of 2016, the Chemical Heritage Foundation bought a 17th century alchemy manuscript written by Isaac Newton. The manuscript detailed how to make philosophic mercury, which was a key step towards achieving the Philosopher's Stone. Not only that, but Newton was found to have hundreds, thousands of pages based around his research on alchemy and trying to find this stone that's supposed to make you like God. Actually, if it wasn't for his experience in alchemy, there's a good chance that he wouldn't have founded gravity. And that makes a perfect segue into how alchemy became the groundwork for chemistry. In case you missed all the details in my historic background over this topic, let me spell it out for you. Since that alchemists were working with metals they founded in nature, they are performing experiments. And because they were performing experiments, with each of them all having the same goal in mind of enlightenment, they all conversed with each other over which experiments worked and which experiments did not. 
alongside this, they even recorded their data and the step processes that they were using for each procedure. So unconsciously, they were performing the chemistry that we do today. Or in other words, they were the original chemists without knowing it. But alchemy didn't die out overnight, where one day everyone just decided, oh, this is chemistry now. No, that's not how things work in history. It happens gradually over time. Chemistry's father is... <laughs> chemistry's father. Yes, the father of chemistry is said to be Robert Boyle. This man published a big book titled The Skeptical Chemist. Chemist spelled with a Y, not an E. And in it, he proposed his hypothesis that matter was made up of particles. And with this, he defined elements as perfectly unmingled bodies. For this, it turned the tables. And as alchemists began to read his book, they began to think, huh, well, I guess what we're doing isn't exactly spiritually correct. And thus, the grand movement into modern chemistry was made, and Boyle discovered the relationship between pressure and volume when it comes to the temperature. Thus, Boyle's law was made. Now, I can go on for a good while about this turning point in chemistry, but I think that's going to be saved for another day. I'll title it The Birth of Chemistry. This whole episode is just the background as to what came before chemistry. Man, oh man, I hope you got all that, because it's going to be on the test later. <laughs> nah, you'll be fine. But how about a little B-A-T-H-E-R, a breather? Alright, let's see what I'm looking forward to this week. I just spent my spring break, and it was very restful. I had some great time relaxing and uh, taking a load off enjoying myself and getting inspired and come next week I will get back on the grind of school and doing regular schoolwork but I'm kind of looking forward to it because I was able to spend this spring break getting out a lot of important deadlines that were creeping up on me at the time of this podcast episode releasing I will be spending time with my dad who will be coming to visit me for the weekend, and I'm really looking forward to it. In terms of next week, like Monday through Friday next week, I'm probably just going to be sitting at my desk usually and doing the schoolwork. But of course, I will be making time to go outside and, and be active. So if anything, I think I'm really looking forward to next week getting back on track with things. Because I will be honest with you, this past couple of months or two, I've been a little stressed out on trying to make plans for the future, but I think now everything is slowly, slowly coming together, and I can rest a little easier. So yeah. <laughs> Cue that R-E-C-A-P, the recap. So what did we learn? We learned how water damage can happen over winter storms. And we learned about alchemy, how alchemists were the first chemists without knowing it. And their goal was to basically reach enlightenment over this process called transmutation. They wanted to figure out how these elements, that they didn't know were elements, worked. 
and in doing so, they hoped to find the answers to how they can do it to themselves. There's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings towards alchemy in today's modern science, but in reality, I just feel like modern science doesn't give it enough credit where credit is due, because it did pave the way for chemistry and a lot of the science that we use today. Of course, in a later episode, I will definitely go into the turning point for when alchemy became chemistry, titled The Birth of Chemistry. This was a background check as to what exactly the spiritual predecessor to chemistry was all about. But that's going to be it from me. Tune in next time where we learn about why hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe. Be sure to follow me wherever you get your podcasts, so that way you're notified when a new episode comes out. I do my best to upload every Saturday. And if you want more Stuff Matters podcasts, be sure to follow me on Twitter at underscore Stuff Matters. Maybe you have a good idea for an episode topic you'd want me to research on. Or maybe you want to send me some fan mail. To reach out to me, be sure to send me an email at stuffmatterspodcast at gmail.com. I've been Mark, and thank you for listening to Stuff Matters.